Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar. And joining us today is, according to one YouTube comment, the Engadget GOAT, CNR <laughs> Mobile Editor Chris wow. Velasco. Hello. I contest every inch of that, but hi. Glad to that be here. That was actually Chris commenting on his own video <laughs> through a ghost uh, account. Yeah. I've got now, several. <laughs> We're not going to talk about it here. They're for different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Chris Velasco is joining us because he's in gadgets, not only our goat, but our phone guy. And uh, obviously that's because this week it's been a crazy phone week for some reason. That's what we're here to talk about. Uh, <laughs> the iPhone SE 2 just launched out of nowhere. And Chris is uh, going to tell us a bit more about that. And if phones aren't your thing, we also have an interview with Nathaniel Halpern, the writer and showrunner behind Amazon's Tales from the Loop. This is that series I've mentioned before. It is a science fiction show based on the paintings and artwork of Simon Stalinhag. I think it's really cool. So be sure to check out our chat. Uh, But before we get there, if you're enjoying the podcast, and if you're not, or if you don't think Chris Velasco is the GOAT, just please make sure to subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Leave us an iTunes rating so that we know what you feel. And for your deeper thoughts, please send us an email to podcast at Engadget.com. Yeah. And actually, the best place to leave us notes is just, uh, you know, in our iTunes reviews. Tell us what you yeah. think of Chris and Trillian and really, me, I guess, well, in there. <laughs> we're no, really reading this is those. Bad. This is going really bad. Like, this is going to sink the podcast now, guys. We're going to have all of you, your fans coming and leaving us five-star reviews. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping for that, Chris. So this week alone, like, at least two major phones were announced. Um, and in the previous few weeks, there has been a slew of phone news. And I think that it feels to me like mwc got canceled but here are all the phones anyway i don't know v what do you think well look like these companies couldn't sit on these devices forever it was a question of do we just sort of slip them out in a press release and put them on sale a couple days later or do we try and have these these approximations of the events that would normally pepper the year anyway and we've seen a pretty Mm -hmm. interesting mix of the two so far what what is the mix like like who's doing what so iphone which is probably the biggest cheap, well, mm-hmm. the biggest the smallest is probably, phone announcement. The biggest, the biggest deal. Smallest, yeah. yeah, the biggest deal for sure. 
so Apple, around this time of year, I mean, they've typically done spring events around March, April. Like, this is a thing that pops up on their calendar mm. very regularly. We all kind of expected we'd be going on a trip to – it was Chicago one year. Like, they're kind of all over the place with this stuff. But obviously, mm. that's impossible now. So we got uh, sort of a press release in the morning and – You'll maybe get some photos after that, and then it'll go on sale sometime next week, which is pretty standard for them. But on the other hand, we have companies like OnePlus, which have historically done big events as well to commemorate mm -hmm. the launches of their biggest new smartphones. And instead of having a live stage show with a packed audience, it's just one guy on a stream sort of walking around a space and explaining mm -hmm. what's going on with the phone. They try their best to capture the feel of one of these events without having a real physical component at all. Is this the first time Apple has launched a phone without an actual keynote? In the last few years, I think, perhaps, that might yeah. be true. Yeah, although they've done and that for some iPad models. Like, we yeah. just saw the, the last slew of iPads came just via press release, right? The iPad right, when you, when you get sort of upgrades to, especially the lowest-end iPad, which is itself an important device, but mm -hmm. maybe not the most exciting all of the time yet. That's mm -hmm. very much a, here's what it is, you can buy it in a week, have fun kind of thing. And yeah, yeah you're right, this is the first time we've seen <laughs> Apple adopt this to... The iPhone, which is pretty wild. Have to say, this is what we've been asking for. Like when we've talked about the, uh, <laughs> I think the overblown nature of a lot of these tech events. Um, it turns out it took a global pandemic for them to be like, you know, we could just do this stuff over a live stream. And I prefer it. It feels like less of a waste of, uh, first of all, carbon emissions for people to travel people all over the place just to see a phone. Um, but also a lot more efficient, too. Like, if they could just get us the hardware, then we, we write up our own stuff. We don't have to deal with their hype, right? I think th that V and I will have things to disagree with you on about that. Just yeah. because we both enjoy the show life, I think, a little bit. Just the... the Y'all are kids. Work, okay. The work of it is not <laughs> as fun. But the getting to hang out and see people in person and see the executives sure. at Apple in person or at whatever company in person, those are, I think, fun. I don't know. V. Yeah. No, FaceTime is really important. I think I think this is a very personal thing, but I feel like I'm at my best when I'm like running around and like mm. freaking out and stressing out over writing a story that's as fast and as smart and as good as possible. I, I personally feel that like event coverage is the thing that makes me it, it pushes me to do better yeah. when I normally when that's very difficult. So I do kind of miss having that extra, like, stressful energy in my See, life. See, that's because you guys are all workaholics. <laughs> I just want to point this out. Like, you want to you wanna be stressed. But anyway, what is what, what do we got this week? Yeah, V, so what's the, what's the new iPhone about? What, the new iPhone SE, anyway? iPhone SE. It's last year's really good iPhone in the body of a, like, three-year-old iPhone. It's cool, guys. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm being a bit <laughs> glib, but I do think this is a really important device. It's... Function the exact same body as the iPhone 8. So we're looking at a 4.7-inch retina display. We're looking mm -hmm. at home button with a Touch ID sensor, which is now surprisingly useful because Face ID yeah. can't understand what our faces look like with masks on. Yep. We've got uh, 64 gigs of storage at the base level. And the wildest part is that it's going to cost $399. So that's $50 less than the iPhone 8 that was totally comparable in storage capacity and everything else that Apple basically just discontinued yesterday. I saw that they discontinued it because I was like trying to look for the physical dimensions to compare and I 
just mm-hmm. couldn't find it on Apple's website anymore. Here's the thing. Welcome to my weekly WhatsApp corner. <laughs> my <laughs> Anyway, my friend texted me to ask uh, about the iPhone SE 2. And I was like... It's not the, it's not the an... SE 2, right? It's just iPhone it's SE. It's just SE. Okay, the SE. The, sec- yeah. the 2020 the second uh, edition. SE, yeah. yeah, the second SE. She she wanted to know if she should upgrade from her, her 8 or 8 Plus. Like one of those. And I said that, you know, the... The chip is going to be much better because it's using the A13 Bionic, right? Correct. But I'm not sure if the camera is an upgrade and mm-hmm. I'm not also sure. She just asked me. She was like, will I, if I get this because it's a good deal because she thinks it's $400 is a really good price. But she was like, is it technically a downgrade from her iPhone 8 or 8 Plus? Mm. No, well, so it kind of depends. If she has an iPhone 8, there is mm-hmm. no way that this is a downgrade. It, at, okay. at worst, it's a lateral move because you get the same sort of dated design, which I think is yeah, yeah. probably one of the the things people are not taking into consideration. Like, mm-hmm. I've had people ask me if the SE is going to be Apple's next big iPhone. And I think it's fair to say that phones largely don't look like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So the appeal is perhaps not as strong as it could be. But in terms of power, yes, Shilin, to your point, the A13 Bionic is an awesome chipset. It's yeah. the fastest and most performant we've ever seen Apple squeeze into a smartphone, which is true every year, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, the camera should be an improvement. So we've had a bit of back and forth with Apple about this. They finally mm-hmm. confirmed to Richard Lai out of Engadget Chinese last night mm-hmm. that it does not use the same sensor as the iPhone 11. Mm. On paper, they have a lot of similarities. They're both 12 megapixel sensors. They have f1.8 apertures. They have six mm-hmm. element lenses, 28 millimeter equivalent like lens distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so performance should be similar, but it's not going to be as good. My personal hunch is it's closer to what we'd see out of the iPhone XS, just because that's a cheaper component they probably still have access to. But yeah. mm-hmm. until yeah. we until we test these things, there's no way to know for sure. But it's a single camera on the back. And what Apple introduced, uh, what, dual camera with the XS, I want to say? Which one was it? I think, I think it was the iPhone the 10. X yeah, that had the, I, the 10, okay. The first dual camera. But yeah. yeah. And playing in the mid-range space, which Apple is now clearly gearing up to do in a big way, like phones in that space are not super expensive, but they have huge screens. They have multiple mm-hmm. cameras. It's tough to get a feel for what Apple <laughs> – I feel like Apple's going to do pretty well here regardless, but the competition is definitely mm-hmm. not nothing. To your friend's question, Trillin, like this doesn't seem like an upgrade, honestly. Like if you're going to upgrade yeah. over that phone, like you want – you want maybe an edge edge screen. Like maybe you want to look more closely at the 10R or wait until this year's, you know, phones at the end of the year because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I have, uh, my my parents have iPhone 8s and I would not tell them to upgrade because they will not really notice the processor difference or even the camera right. upgrades, right? I mean, I'm going to let V say because he's the expert here, but I I told her that the main thing you're going to notice a difference in is if your phones are already that old, you might notice like a faster overall because it's a new phone, you're going to get that new phone feel. Mm-hmm. You're also maybe going to get longer battery life. But correct me if I'm wrong, V, is that true? So Apple is not really specified. They The official quote is, you get the same great battery life that you got out of the iPhone 8, which I don't remember being particularly Oy. awesome the first time around. It's just a new battery. Yeah. It's, it's a new great battery. It. And like one could argue that the A13 is a little more efficient in some ways, so it's maybe not mm. taking as much of a toll. But I can't imagine the difference is huge. But yeah, to your point about performance, like unless you're routinely pushing your smartphone to your limits, unless you're <laughs> a big gamer, unless you're like a big augmented reality person, yeah, you'll notice some like day-to-day improvements between the A9 and the A13 in the iPhone SE. But 
uh, wait, wait until September. Hopefully Apple does this whole crazy rigmarole again and we'll get some new iPhones that are probably more worthy of an upgrade. There's very few small phones, like sub five inch phones left. And for the Mm -hmm. iPhone SE second generation to have a 4.7 inch screen, I think that there's still a market for that. I think that a lot of people still want that size of a phone. Not again, not because y'all mm-hmm. have small hands, but because it just fits in pockets better. But I guess. really, I want to point out like this one still has bezels. This still looks like the iPhone 8. Yeah. So it has the top and bottom bezels, it has stuff around the sides. And the reason I really like the iPhone 10 is that we finally got more of an edge to edge screen and that actually made it more compact. So you got a bigger screen in a smaller case. It would have been nice to see Apple kind of go that route a little, but I guess they got to maybe wait until next year when they can call like the iPhone 10 design that the the 11 still has right now um they can call that uh what classic right they could call that old hat so yeah <laughs> i don't know what do you think v like is 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 apple ever going to do an se that has an edge to edge design i mean it's inevitable i think yeah it kind of depends on how well this one does i think based mm-hmm. on the strength of its performance and just how popular smaller phones do seem to be in certain really crucial markets to apple this one's going to do pretty well, and it's going to keep the SE line going because for people who don't know, Apple made the first iPhone SE in 2016, discontinued mm. it after about a year. It continued to be sold. They had a bunch of stock, and it used to go for really cheap if you could find mm. the right deal. But they stopped like actively producing them after a while. So they effectively took a break from building purpose-built sort of mid-range phones. Now that they're entering the space again, I don't, I don't see them necessarily waiting three years again to try mm-hmm. It's, I mean, okay, so there were the 10Rs and the, like, Cs and the 5Cs. Apple has done, like, the so-called light or cheap phones for yeah. a bit. But the SE feels like a different beast altogether. I mean, okay, so so Apple is, to me, a company that does very expensive phones in general. Just always, there's always been an Apple premium on iPhones. But then now attempting to make a really good budget, mid-range phone, right? Mm-hmm. And we're... Another company announced a new phone this week that takes the opposite direction where, and I'm trying to talk about OnePlus here very inelegantly, but the OnePlus 8 and 8 Pro launched this week. And OnePlus, I don't know, I think V knows this much better than I do, but when they first uh, burst onto the scene, they were trying to be so-called flagship killers with like really good high-end specs on a phone, but for like about half the price. It was like, what, 300-ish, 350 Yeah, I think 350 was where the OnePlus One landed originally. Yeah, yeah, man. Imagine that. Like, they were taking on the Samsungs and the then LGs of the world, but with, like, a $350 phone that was just really good. Um, and But this week, the 8 and 8 Pro, I, I know, V, you reviewed the OnePlus 8 Pro, and your main takeaway is that, what, like, price is no longer the main reason to get these guys? I mean... If you're looking at a smartphone right now and you don't want to spend as much money, you will get a bit of a savings with the Mm -hmm. OnePlus. That said, the 8 Pro is not nearly as inexpensive as other Pro devices in its past. Bear in mind, so the standard uh, OnePlus 8 Pro, 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage. That's the one I've actually been testing, so the Mm -hmm. lower spec model. That's $900. Last year's Mm -hmm. iPhone, (laughs) last year's OnePlus 7 Pro that same configuration was 750 So we're looking at a oh. considerable increase in the price right off the bat. I think that's largely because of the screen, which is great. But there's also, I mean, I, I don't think OnePlus could justify every decision here. And I know there's a lot of people in the community right now who are upset that OnePlus kind of sold out and embraced hmm. the flagship performance and the flagship price. 
I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. see it that way. Like I saw it as the eight starts at what six ninety nine, which is still seven hundred dollars. And but I mean, and then you compare that against the likes of say a Galaxy S twenty or the base model iPhone. I'm not gonna compare it with the Pixel four because I think that starts a little like around the same price. But like, and Galaxy S twenty starts at what nine ninety nine as well, right? And so you're still saving like what two hundred dollars if you buy the base models as well. It's, yeah, and I but man, I think there's an important distinction to be made between these two phones. Like you would know better than me. I think you've spent more time with a regular OnePlus 8 than I have. That also mm-hmm. has the Snapdragon 865, so like full high-end performance. Everything else is just dialed down from the 8 Pro in a way that doesn't always feel satisfying. So 90 hertz screen instead of 120 mm-hmm. differences in... I it's still not like, like that IP water resistance rated, mm-hmm. which might just be a technicality. But it's it for me, it doesn't seem like a big enough deal compared to something like the 7 Pro or the 7T Pro, where I would right. say, hey, if you have one of those, yeah, iPhone 8, or God, I keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the they need OnePlus better names. Not, they yeah. really do. I'm getting really tired of just saying the word OnePlus. But the do, OnePlus they have, 8, uh, do they have any more affordable models left? Because I don't, these are cheaper than the current flagships, but I wouldn't call these affordable. Yeah. Is the thing. yeah. So they used to do, this was, this was, quite a few years ago now they used to do the Mm -hmm. oneplus x which was their first Mm -hmm. like mid-range phone attempt and as i recall it maybe it maybe didn't totally bomb but it didn't do very (laughs) it didn't do very well at all (laughs) yeah the oneplus x series got discontinued like what a year after it was debuted (laughs) yeah something like that it was it was a really quick turnaround it was a disappointment to everyone involved I liked it because, again, like the SE, it was like a little bit of a smaller phone and that uh, the fact that it was cheaper gave me a lot more reason to to try to find excuses for it. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's what I was doing is to make excuses for a phone. And that's not really a good thing. One thing I would Um, like to see, by the way, especially now that we're seeing a new iPhone SE and a bunch of things like I wish there were easier ways to just like hop between devices. That was easier uh, than just like swapping SIM cards. You know, like we have eSIM. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not standard yet, but it's going to become like the thing. I wish I could just like, okay, I want to run. Yeah, I want to go for a run with my iPhone SE because um, that's tiny and just move all my you know calls and everything to that super easily. Move my service to that. Um, you can uh, like have active, multiple devices. Yeah, active and one, yeah one have it active. like switch what's your active device. I, that would be kind of awesome. I but. wonder if that's just a bougie perspective. <laughs> No, because, definitely. We're all everything we're talking about here is super phones. bougie stuff, guys. Like, let's <laughs> let's be true. real. We're talking about eight hundred dollar phones is like semi affordable at this point. I know. I'm just saying, but that's for the yeah. tech geeks out there. Like, we have. I'm that's sure true. a lot of our listeners too have multiple phones or backup right like your work phone versus your personal. Maybe you bought the iPhone 11 Pro and you want a tiny thing too. Like, it is. I think that flexibility would be a lot. It would be a nice thing to have down the line. Hey, Dev, what did you think of? Kind of off topic, but what did you think mm-hmm. about the Palm phone? Do you remember that? Oh, thing? good I love those guys. I, I mean, I love the look no, of no, it. No, 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 the tiny one. It, Do you remember the I tiny love one? The, I love the idea of the Palm phones, right? Yeah. The idea right. of like, like a secondary thing. I just want, yes. I miss the Palm Pre. I really like the Palm Pre design. Wait, did I you wish, really? Yeah, it was Dad, so good. That was the only phone in my life I've ever sat in a line to buy. It's so cute. It's so uh, cute. Yeah. That, I would love I a secondary phone like that. Webos uh, okay. What's up? <laughs> I guess there's a market for the secondary phone, like the Palm phone that TCL made uh, yeah. and, and like released last but year. I think th- those all suck because they have these weird compromises and like yeah. Yes. Yeah. That I, is kind of bad. I want on the fly um, device switching. Switch it like switch your service to your laptop when you're when you're you know you want to go work yeah, somewhere. I that'd be know. cool. Dev, do you yeah. have any eSIM devices? 
Uh, I mean, I have the 11 Pro, which is eSIM, I believe. <laughs> yes, um, but like not not. It's not as easy to work with as say like yeah. Project Phi. By the way, or something. by the way, kids and listeners and oh, whoever, um, when you go. are activating your iPhones, uh, maybe maybe try to get that eSIM action. Because then when you travel, when we can actually leave the confines of our homes and countries again, uh, then you'll want to throw in a SIM, which is that that would have been my plan all the time. Right. But I, I, I will say, like, I will forever preach the good word of eSIM and not just because um, <laughs> you've written about it quite people, a bit. I've written about it quite a bit. Commenters will point out that, yeah, you work for Verizon. Of course, you're going to worship eSIM. I'm like, dude, no. no. It, it makes just... all our lives easier if we have Like, it. standard disclaimer, yes, I, like, my parent company is Verizon Wireless. But, I again, I don't love everything that they do all the time. But eSIM is just a technology that I think is going to be very convenient for us when it works right and when mm-hmm. the carriers all support it. Yeah. Right. Anyhow. Quick shout out, though. iPhone SE. 2020 does have dual sim via eSIM, which the iPhone oh, nice. has. So if you're there, a tablet, you go. there you go. That's something. And I don't think we talk about it enough. Like, I think eSIM and the idea of iPhones being dual sim, that's something geeks know. But even I'm yeah. sure like every listener of the show has not understood like how to really take advantage of that. Um, and also when you're traveling, it's really hard to like get the eSIM part activated um, in another language or something. You want at that point, you want to just throw in the SIM card. Anyway, it's, yeah, it's yeah. True. What is what is the great carrier that you can find the uh, the OnePlus phones at, guys? For once, the OnePlus <laughs> phone is coming to Verizon. Hey, again, our parent company. We need like a theme song. We need like a jingle <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so so the OnePlus Eight and Eight Pro, I think, are still significant phones. I think there is a growing market for them, even though they're not no longer the like affordable options. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, v, like to be clear, away. these are still phenomenal phones. Like, yeah, I, I haven't been hugely thrilled by the Galaxy S twenty series. Sherlin was gracious enough to handle the review while I went <laughs> on the last vacation before the world ended. So <laughs> you were gone for three weeks. I died. It was like two <laughs> and change, and you got last year off from MWC. So <laughs> I did not take three weeks. But anyway, yes, no, I'm happy to help you, bro. Yes, but so the OnePlus Eight Pro is the first flagship of the year that i've really spent Mm. time with i've used the galaxy s20 ultra and i like it quite a bit but Mm. the pro is maybe my favorite phone of the year so far like the oxygen os based on android 10 is just super clean it's super thought out the big knock against oneplus in the past is that its cameras historically haven't been great and they're not amazing now the telephoto Mm -hmm. camera that they say is you know lossless 3x zoom is not optical so in no in no way is actually lossless. But it's lossless. But they say lossless. Uh, There's just a not. tiny asterisk next to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big selling point of this thing is the screen. I don't know, Sherlyn, you've seen it. Dev, you should Yeah. I should like come by and leave it on your doorstep so you can check it out. <laughs> this thing is yeah. wild. It does 120 hertz at quad HD. It's yep, got yep. like every HDR certification you can get. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like they're coming for Samsung with these features, right? The 120 hertz screen, but better than the S20 Ultra because the S20 Ultra could only do it at full HD. Yeah. Um, and even on my, I mean, I spent more time with the OnePlus 8 base version, like you said, and um, even the 90 hertz screen on that thing, it just looks so nice. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh crap, this thing feels like it's floating on top of some water and it's just gliding away from me. And 90, 90 hertz seems like the bare minimum that we'll yeah. want for screens. Like yeah. this is something we've talked about until you see it in action. Action, I feel like it's hard to convey, but gamers who play on like maybe higher refresh rate monitors will know. Like it's so smooth. 
it's beautiful. So it's just it's just funny to me that a company like OnePlus that's been indie for a while is really what's going to maybe give Samsung a run. Well, not a real run for its money, but something to look to as competition. Meanwhile, Samsung's old rivals, like LG, uh, are seriously <laughs> struggling, in my opinion. Really, really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. <laughs> we got the... <laughs> <laughs> this wrong, week, but let's damn, let's girl. just give y'all the like the news bit this week, right? Because LG has been working on the flagship. They want you to know they're they're still around. And this week, the company sent out a press release saying that, hey, the name of our new flagship that we've been talking about is going to be called Velvet. It's Velvet. It's Velvet. like I I wanted to die. I just <laughs> I like I had to write about this for another article. And the whole reason LG is doing this is that. I think it's fully aware its names suck, okay? Previous LG flagship names have been this. LG V60 ThinQ 5G. That review that V just wrote. Yeah. Then the LG G8X ThinQ dual screen. Dual screen's part of the goddamn thing's name. So <laughs> I had to keep writing it in a hands-on recently. And I was like, what the heck? And they really, just... they really first of all, banked on ThinQ as yeah. like their thing because it's on their tvs it's on right. their smart devices and every time i talk to an lg executive and i'm like what what yes. what are you guys doing like first of all we don't know how to pronounce it this is not nobody exciting knows. or interesting nobody knows what it really means <laughs> um but anyway we got velvet uh, because velvet, velvet is something we uh attach to fast and powerful devices apparently v, what, what do you I mean, think look, of the name bear, velvet, bear yeah. in mind we're talking about the company that has previously released phones called the lg chocolate and the lg <laughs> renoir and i think at one point <laughs> the lg beauty like beauty, beauty. but the view with a v so <laughs> suffice it to say the masterminds in the marketing department at lg in korea are they should be fired they should be fired <laughs> I don't know. I think they should be promoted. No, I feel like... I mean, I I, guess we're still talking about them. I could just imagine the CEO of LG or whoever is just like in his James Bond lair with his tiny dog or cat. And just like, he just walks around and just says, thank you. Yes. Make it so. It makes my insights feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I I just... Okay. So in, in the press release, I think... LG, I don't know if they are aware how silly this all sounds, but they they were like, oh, the word velvet is meant to evoke images of lustrous smoothness and premium softness. And I was like, what the crap? It's like you're writing gadget porn in the press release. <laughs> if I mean, if they made a phone made out of cloth, then yeah, I'm down. Like, then you it's, call it velvet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but it's not. And it, the whole thing is that this phone, um, again, according to the press release, features a so-called unique raindrop camera. And if you've looked at the renders we've seen from the company earlier, it looks like they have a rear camera system that features like three or four circles that are consecutively smaller than each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like a big primary camera and then a slightly smaller circle below. It. And then it's like, so I guess that's raindrop. It's, I'm not it sure is, it could be. Is that it? Wait, I didn't that's catch it, that. That's is it. that it? That's all it, it is. But, or it oh, could be the great. front camera. So instead of putting camera sensors in a square, they put them in a line. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I, yeah. I will say I do appreciate companies thinking more about these ugly camera sensors because I don't like the squares. I, I think yeah. the squares and everything are big, ugly aesthetic humps. This is – it's something. It's something that's different. But, yeah, this render barely looks like a render. It looks like a pencil drawing of, like, what LG wants a phone to be. Anyway. <laughs> I anyway. think they drew it on velvet. I think they drew it straight on velvet. It's a velvet painting, which would be yes. nice, actually. That There's your marketing pitch. Like, velvet paint there you go. all your renders, please. 
So I think the question then is like, is this enough to help LG remain relevant? Like a rebranding and a new design language is that because LG is honestly, in my opinion, been struggling. I don't know about UV. You might be fonder of them than I am, but no. I, so I I love everyone we work with at LG. No you shade do, yeah. on them. They're doing Me their too, best. Same. LG as a company, at least in, as far as phones go, they're they're tanking. They're terrible. Like oh god, the V60 thank you, which I just reviewed, is is passable in certain ways. I'm willing to make concessions for it. I think my headline was something like, this is a compromised phone, but I liked it anyway. Mm. Because it was cheap and you got, like it was, all of its value was predicated on how much you got for the money. So you got like a decent screen, an 865 chipset, a huge battery, which was arguably the best thing about it. And then this like case that you could attach to the phone to get a second screen that I found better than the last time, but still more or less completely nonsensical. Right. Like, I, I, I'm getting frustrated in my brain right now because to this <laughs> day, I do not understand what this company's priorities are. They, it's like they don't care anymore. And sometimes that's a recipe for a company to do really interesting stuff. And mm-hmm. maybe this dual screen counts to some people. But just what, are, you, are you trying to do a good job anymore? Where Just like let me know when your head's at, guys. It's a shame because what's really driving LG, I think, is like their display innovation. Absolutely. Like, right? Like LG display yeah. – has been making the best OLEDs. They make the OLEDs that Samsung and other companies like Sony puts into their TVs. Like that's mm-hmm. how this works. LG has a lot of like hardware innovation, but yeah, man, their product stuff. I don't I don't know. I, I have a proposal for LG. I uh-huh. think if you're coming up with names like Velvet and LG Chocolate, just go and opi- open a Korean bakery. Just do that and I'll be <laughs> so much happier. I'll be like, yeah, I'll buy the Velvet Cupcake. I'll buy the chocolate muffin. Yeah. So this is where you'll go on your weekly pilgrimage <laughs> once we're allowed to leave our homes again. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I can't wait to eat. Anyway. What are those? Uh, I was at a Korean cafe when I was doing uh, the <laughs> Oculus conference and it's the mm. little pineapple pastries or something. Pineapple and walnut. Those are really Ooh. good. Little walnut cakes. But anyway, call it walnut. Give me the LG walnut yeah. and make it, uh, make it delicious. Make it make delicious. Make it a phone I can eat, please. <laughs> I'm hungry. So, okay, we've got... We've got the iPhone SE, we've got OnePlus 8 and 8 Pro, we've got the LG Velvet sort of being teased. We also heard from another scrappy company trying to do its best here, Motorola, uh, this week announced that it'll be hosting a virtual launch event on April 22nd for an upcoming flagship. Now, we don't know officially what this flagship is going to be yet, but rumors are pretty clear that it will be something called the Edge Plus. Uh, v, what are your thoughts? I, I've been having <laughs> I've been having conversations with Motorola. I I I was a very big Motorola fan for a mm. long, long time, and not too long after the Lenovo acquisition, I kind of like they just shifted priorities and like they didn't seem to focus on the things Ooh. I cared about. So I my relationship with them kind of faded a bit. But I've been mm. talking to them for years and asking, you know, when are you going to do this again? The last flagship that we got, the last proper like expensive flagship mm. phone we got was I think 2016 was the year was with the Moto X? Z. Yeah. Oh, the Z. Yes. When they went yeah. crazy with the modular stuff. And like, God bless them. We talk about companies that maybe don't do interesting stuff every time. And that mm. was a phenomenally fascinating phone. Mm-hmm. 
and it just never went anywhere. Like they, they the, have a history of this, by the way. Like even before the Lenovo thing, when they were under Google, the whole Moto X thing, I thought was. I like the Moto mods. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I loved being able to like customize my Moto X before they sent it to me and get that wood back or something. Yeah. Yes, yes. But like, yeah, like their that whole experiment with the mods kind of went south, and they continued to support it for years after most people expected them to. Mm-hmm. So now that they've like. Now that 5G is a thing and they no longer have a reason to support the 5G mod as strongly as it used to, I think they're now able to just put that saga behind them and move on into this premium device, which I think is rumored to be called the Edge Plus. Yeah, yeah. The rumor is that this is the Edge Plus. The rumor is that this will have like high-end specs that we haven't seen out of Motorola in a while. Uh, you know, based on the leaks, it's likely a 6.7-inch screen. The reason it's called the Edge Plus is because, hey, remember the Galaxy Edge? Yeah, yeah, this thing has and the same... Galaxy Edge Plus. Why? W- <laughs> yeah. I hope that's not the real name because literally that's Samsung's name. I hope not, not either. Sure. They're recycling yeah. names now, but basically it's got like what two curved edges, and I don't know what they're gonna do with that. It's just nice to look at, maybe. Nothing um... really. Like it's just there for looks. Like the OnePlus has this to an extent too. They're they're only there to look cool and drive people like me. Yes, effing crazy. Because my hand meat always brushes against yes. the side of the phone, and I'm you're, touching wait, stuff I never me, mean you're to. Wait, excuse me, you're what? My hand, hand meat. meat. Oh, say that again. <laughs> hand <laughs> meat. Hand <laughs> meat. Okay. My fingers are mu- my fingers are short, but my palm is huge, so I have a preponderance of hand meat. Now I'm just thinking of hamburgers with V's hands as the patties. Yeah, just Vienna Anyhow. sausages over here. Yeah, gross. gross. Y'all are gross. um but i agree with you i've had issues with the like double-edged screens where like even i don't have a meaty hand like yours but i still like struggle with accidentally activating things or accidentally like triggering edge apps on the galaxy edge phone so like i really really don't like that but i guess that's that looks nice how sad is it that we're not even talking about the uh the razor at this point, Ooh. so much work, so much effort into that. I, Wait, the Razer, the God flip, and then there's the Z Flip too. And oh man, <laughs> oh. oh boy, the Razer, the poor Moto Razer. But the the Moto Edge Plus, if the rumors are true, will also feature a what looks like a triple camera system with a 108 megapixel primary sensor, some telephoto and wide angle lens options. Seems to be pretty like the default setting for most flagship phones these days. Right, V, I think. Yeah, like, like if there, if someone had to meme this, like the caption would say, yeah. this is a flagship period, and it would be the dog standing in the room of fire. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it does everything that you would want an expensive phone to do, but nothing else. And I think a company, well, a brand like Motorola mm. under Lenovo, not having done this for so long, really needed something to get people worked up about the brand again, especially after the Razer kind of flopped, right? Like so sad. that was a that was a four hundred dollar phone and a fifteen hundred dollar phone body. You need with that, a, with you a do screen need to recover that from awful. that at least a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad because they had the nostalgia value in the bank and they couldn't cash out yeah. all of that. Timing. If if that phone had come out like last year, you know, earlier yeah. last year, like it would have been revolutionary but no which it was supposed to by the way it was supposed to launch in june and then (laughs) things happened i guess we'll have to wait till april 22nd to see what this rumored flagship from motorola will be but also moto also like we saw this week um reviews of the moto g power i want to say the g power and the g stylus okay so two phones that we've heard of before last year i think you you got hands-on with these guys right Look, time does not exist for me anymore. I can't. I can't tell you when <laughs> I did what. It exists in the vacuum. 
Whenever at some point in the universe you you checked out these phones, what's the main highlight for the for the G Power and the G Stylus? So as the names sort of indicate, the G Power, it's it's the specs escape me, but it's obviously a device that's focused on giving you excellent battery life. So it has a huge battery, you know, mid-range processor, screen that isn't much to write home about. Like it's a perfectly mm-hmm. adequate phone, very much in the vein of Motorola's long line of perfectly adequate phones. The Moto G Stylus is weird because it basically takes the G Power formula and makes it a little better. But the the standout feature is, of course, the stylus, which in no way, like, it's just a stick. Like, it's in no way active. It's not special. It's literally Wait, it's not even a plastic stick. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a metal stick. Credit <laughs> to them. It's a metal stick with a plastic nub. That's it is, right. It is yeah. intensely unpleasant to write with because it's so Ew. small. And as I've said, I have a preponderance of hand meat. Uh these are these are devices that fall so firmly into Motorola's like typical formula with some weird twist just for fun, I guess. Uh, uh, that I I don't know what to do with this company anymore. Like yeah, yeah. They, the G's used to be the like low end phones that we'd recommend to people because I think those in the Moto E like those were the cheap good phones. For they're a while. the mid range E, and, and they still are. Like yeah. they're still great yeah. phones for the price. If you don't mind not having frills which i think is a lot of people looking to buy a 200 dollar <laughs> phone you're gonna do yeah. totally fine but yeah. like motorola has they've shifted a lot of their like more ambitious lines of thinking into their motorola one line many of which are just not sold here mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they're they're doing fine in aggregate but at least when you're looking at them from a very u.s perspective y- like their strategy doesn't seem to be particularly interesting or valuable I want to. I just say I think that Moto has changed hands so many times. They were owned by Google, and now they're owned by Lenovo. That their identity is a little up in the air. Mm-hmm. I think that though, with Lenovo as parents, I think that's why we're seeing all these quirky things happen, right? Because Lenovo itself is not one to shy away from trying out these very quirky experiments, like the yeah. dual screen yoga tablet, like really like a laptop with an e-ink screen for a lid or a speaker built into the hinge of your laptop lenovo is maybe what's giving moto these like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ideas here i don't I, know but i love that fun. lenovo is still throwing out all these crazy ideas yeah. um i wish the build quality on their devices yeah. like we've we've talked about this before their think pads have gone way downhill like quality Think- wise so it's very I don't, sad i don't know yeah it's it's very sad that the ThinkPads in general are getting so many complaints all over the place now. I'm I'm seeing them on the internet all the time. ThinkPads were such a great line. They're still mm-hmm. good lines, but um, I just think Moto also <laughs> needs to work on that. I think Moto, I really want someone, basically, whether it's Moto or LG, to give the Samsungs and the Apples some real competition. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? I feel like all these companies are doing it in their own ways, but nobody... Nobody has like the great product vision, you know, like that's the thing. Even Samsung, we we made fun of them for years and they still have way too many phones. But uh, I don't know. Are there other I phones mean, spe- we have to talk about, of, guys? Speaking of Samsung making way too many yeah. phones, I mean, this this Samsung this week also dropped, well, last week dropped like a half a dozen Galaxy A series phones. So, you know, like their total number of phones they make now is 213. We never so. count the Galaxy A, though, because they always have like, <laughs> a, I feel like 10 different A models or something. And yeah. 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 Well, yeah, okay. I always felt a little bad about that, honestly, because the A series <laughs> largely is made up of like really solid mid-range phones, and people care about those. Like those are those are phenomenal yes. phones. If you yeah. don't care about phones, or if you have a parent who like needs something that won't crap out on them, yeah, a Samsung A series would be great. And you know, it's it's I think it largely falls to me that like I haven't paid as much attention to them, but yeah, it doesn't fall to you. Things. 
it's 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 just that I, I mean we all have different priorities and we have to review so many things that like the a series doesn't stand out enough i think to to warrant a mm-hmm. review on our end yet but we might one day get to it um Speaking of things we generally don't review, there's a lot of phones in China. There's a lot of good phones coming out of China, and we don't get around to them because you're never going to be able to buy them here in the U.S., but they're still doing really interesting things. Oppo this week announced the Reno Ace 2, and the standout feature of it is that it supports wireless, the fastest wireless charging ever in a phone. For now, which is, yay. I know, I know Dev has thoughts on wireless charging per se, but I just want to give you like the quick download here. Uh, I'm Sherlyn down low, by the way. Um, The, the, did you hear my eyes roll just then? (laughs) I heard your eyes roll, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The Reno A2 supports wireless charging at 40 watts. So it will get the uh, phone's 4,000 milliamp hour battery up to 100% in 56 minutes, which if you do the math, it might be, it might come out, you know, like assuming all things stay equal to about 50% charge in about 30 minutes, which is almost like a wired charging experience. And for anyone, like I'm saying, like I, anyone who's ever tried wirelessly charging anything, you'll know that that's really freaking fast. Yeah. Like. It's really fast for wireless. And I mean, I think that's impressive. I do think that there's questions as to why wireless charging needs to exist. I think that Dev has a whole spiel on that. Well, it's like I'm of two minds. Like, I think if you had like broad wireless charging availability of like when you just throw your phone on your desk and it like got a little bit of trickle charge, I think that's cool. But yeah, in every way, wireless charging is worse been wired because it's slower it's nice to see this one may get a little faster but it's slower you can't do anything with your phone uh i think we're all used to just like cradling our phones with a charging cable you know while we're in bed mm. or something like you can still use your phone while you're cable charging that's much faster it's more secure mm. can't count the amount of times i've tried to wirelessly charge something overnight and you just like miss the uh the charger or like a cat <laughs> moves it or something overnight and you lose that charge it's just unreliable and i'm also worried about like like what what is going on like getting really high power moving wirelessly you know mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. two devices like what it what are the potential fire hazards there uh whenever any of these companies push power like uh Samsung did with the <laughs> Note 7 uh things go bad you know yeah. i i'm with you i think that I, i'm not sure i entirely trust Oppo to be the ones to do this really well um but at least at least it's doing something different and new i mean they they, you know chinese phones were the first ones to start the notched camera thing the whole all screen look was like i think one of the very first was anubia uh but v you're the smartphone historian so i'm gonna like rely on you on the facts here but (laughs) (laughs) i i mean i i do think that a lot of these features we see emerging out of like that side of the world are going to make their way here and i think you know, probably for the better in general. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen that start. And I think the OnePlus is a great example. OnePlus is, I think, I I forget exactly what the corporate structure is, but like there's this company, BKK, which I believe owns OnePlus and Oppo, which explains why the OnePlus 8 Pro is basically the Oppo Find X2 with just like a couple extra things thrown into it. (laughs) But it does also have like that super fast wireless charging. It's not as fast as Mm. the Reno Ace 2 X5, whatever it's called. (laughs) It's like it's a 30 watt wireless charging setup. But but to your point, Dev, like I've been testing it. I plop the phone in the cradle overnight Mm. and it just gets so warm in the short term. They're like, there's there's potential here for something Mm. to be bad, right? 
Just I'm be careful. Crazy like, keep, uh, keep a fire extinguisher near your devices while you're testing these things. I Please. don't know that I have a fire extinguisher. What the hell? Get a fire extinguisher. What is... And you too, Sherlyn? You who's sprinkler. complaining about Fires people setting fire to your alarm? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, get, get fire extinguishers. This is old tech. What are you doing? All right, let's move on to what we're working on. I'm testing out some fun new hardware this week. Intel's Nook 9 Extreme. And I Ooh. took a first look at this at CES. This is a their biggest Nook ever. It is a tiny little portable desktop, but it's big enough to fit like um, one of those like half-sized uh, desktop GPUs, hmm. which I think is the main selling point. So this is a little DIY kit. You buy it with like a compute... Uh, uh, they have like a this interchangeable compute thing going on, mm -hmm. like different cards you can slide in. But you buy it with compute. You have to add your own video card, memory, storage, mm -hmm. OS, mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, what you get is a very nice small system that is as powerful as a full-size desktop. And it's pretty cool. Um, writing it up right now, it's very fast. Um, what they've managed to do just in terms of cooling and fitting enough hardware into something this small I think is really cool, but man, mm -hmm. is it expensive. Like the build I'm testing, which is will probably cost between a thousand to fifteen hundred in a in a desktop, mm -hmm. this whole kit would be close to three thousand dollars. What why is it so much because more? Because the kit itself is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Like the little compute cards are doing uh, the idea is that you could maybe eventually swap out the CPU card in this, uh, you know, down the line. But so even then, it's going to be more expensive than right. usual. Yeah, this is a cool kit for people who love the uh, the tiny desktop life. I think yeah. there are a lot of people, and especially PC enthusiasts out there, who yep. maybe have a lot of extra money and want like a really <laughs> nice, cute, powerful PC. Uh, it's sort of like it's sort of like the hot rod thing, except really small form factor. So anyway, it's really cool. Um, I I really dig it. I just don't know who will actually buy this thing. So look up for my coverage soon. I'm also testing out Minecraft with ray tracing. That's Ooh. something we've been seeing NVIDIA and Microsoft teasing over the past year. Uh, the beta is hitting basically as we're recording this right now it's hitting windows if you have an rtx nvidia graphics card and minecraft you could just flip it on it's really cool it adds very realistic lighting um and it's amazing to see how a simple looking game like a minecraft which is you know just blocks and flat textures it really comes alive once you start playing with the lighting like the actual yeah. sunlight and actual reflections on surfaces i think it's a really cool view of like what ray tracing will bring to the future of games it's it's just kind of revolutionary but yeah it's also something only people with the super powerful nvidia graphics cards can use for right now um yeah it's a good preview i'm really digging one day it. Yeah. one day these powerful cards will come to a switch and we'll see animal crossing with ray tracing uh just yeah maybe not a switch but we're definitely gonna see it on the next gen consoles first like we know the playstation 5 and the xbox one day uh, a x girl series can dream. x will all have it <laughs> and then you'll uh, get it for your switch yes and you'll yes. be so happy Shirley. i'll be so happy um meanwhile i am back to full reviewing life and like dev i am also reviewing a piece of hardware i can't talk about it just yet but by monday you should be able to see what i've been working on it's uh, i can say it's a, a laptop i think and it's i love it i really like it and then nice. i'm also working on a unique 
app in VR uh, that should help during this whole like stuck at home time. I'm just happy that we we have so many phones to distract us. We have so many gadgets to distract us these days. I I don't know. It it feels nice. Yeah, yeah. If you can uh, spend some time with work, it really helps you ignore the world being yes, on fire. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, uh, are you working on anything V you want to talk about? Um, I'm working on a lot of things, and I can talk <laughs> about none of these things. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you're working on staying healthy and staying sane, too, I hope. All right. And as for our picks, fun stuff this week, I am spending a lot of time with the Final Fantasy VII Remake, a thing mm-hmm. which I can't believe exists. We've been pining. First of all, I've been dreaming about this for like at least the past two decades, like ever since the PlayStation 2, like really, mm-hmm. yeah, we got more powerful consoles. I've been dreaming of like what it would be like to revisit that world with more mm. powerful machines. Um, I think about five years ago, they announced that this remake was actually happening, and it is fantastic. It is a reimagining of Final Fantasy VII, or at least like the first act of it, uh, mm. in a really good-looking modern game with like a battle system that is like hybrid action game slash like really tactical RPG at times, too. It's so good. It's beautiful. The music's fantastic. Like, it, it's a great, like, I don't know. I can't believe this game exists. It's kind of a miracle in a way. Like, it, it exists and it's good and it's going to be like 40 hours long. So I'm about 10 hours in right now. I'm really digging it. We want to talk with Matt Smith from Engadget UK, who reviewed it for us mm-hmm. and has already beaten it. But he is out sick. So unfortunately, but you can you that. can still watch his review video. Uh, you can watch his video. Yeah, YouTube. listen yeah, to his it's... dulcet British tones. Review Final describing, Fantasy VII remake. Describing yeah, FF 7s like uh, plot and how it's different from the original, and you see a lot of good graphics from the game. So it's very pretty. Here. So what have you been up to, Sherlyn? I mean, I'm I'm still trying to like secure my spot as the Asian film recommender on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should be. Come I on. am, I am, I am. So I've been watching a lot of... I know, because you've of, watched all these damn movies, yeah. I'm watching, I've been watching a lot of others, like, uh, you know, fair credit to Dev, he he recommended, to, like, I watch um, Train to Busan a while ago, and I mm-hmm. finally did. It's really good. I watched The Host, which is Wang Junho's, one of his earlier works. It's also really good. Host I, is so good. First of all, if you so if you have seen Parasite and you like Parasite, track down The Host. Yeah, The Host is on Hulu. That's why I saw Such a smart it. monster movie. Yeah, and yeah. it will Parasite's break your heart. Parasite's also on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, it will break your heart for sure. It's very sweet. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about because those are like things I had to credit Devendra about. So no, but, huh. um, I, I am, however, pretty confident in my Asian horror film taste and my Asian horror film knowledge. And I've watched a lot of those growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dig deep into the archives and recommend a Filipino horror movie called Feng Shui. F-E-N-G-S-H-U-I, feng shui. You're going to be a little confused I don't, I don't because feng shui is technically a very Chinese belief mm-hmm. in Chinese culture, but that's because Asia shares a lot of cultures anyway. And it's just this really, it's so, it was so scary. I remember always watching it in my teens. It's very hard to find <laughs> nowadays, but I think it's on both. Is it a horror video. movie about bad furniture placement? No, no. <laughs> like what? A little bit. What happened? No, it, it's about this, Um, we call it the bakwa. It's a, mm. it's a Taoist um kind of like a supernatural mirror thing that people hang up on their homes um, or on door frames and stuff like that. And in this particular show, when you like see your reflection in this bakwa, like hanging there mm-hmm. in front of this house, 
you're next to die or something like that. But the way you die is very interesting because it all it's just it all boils down to Asian mysticism and it's about your your zodiac, um, the Chinese zodiac. Um, so like if you're born in the year of a chicken, you're killed by a bunch of chickens. <laughs> Wait, this is a Filipino movie. Yeah. It is a Filipino this movie. This sounds I know. amazing. It's uh, really yeah, good. It it's sounds really, great. Really it is good. very much the. I saw this movie was released in 2004, so it's yes. very post very Ringu. And I feel like, yeah. um, you know, Ringu yeah. is the one like Hideo Nakata's yes. Ringu changed yes. the face of horror forever. Yes. Um, I actually, as much as I love the original, I think the remake is better, and we can have a good argument about that. The um, remake of The Ring, really? The Ring, yeah. Gore Verbinski's Not the American the Ring, one. I think is one of the best horror movies of the last like. Two Wait, decades. the one, the one that America made. The, yeah, the, the one America one. made. Like every every country made their own Ring version. Right. <laughs> right now, Sherilyn is making a ring face at me, so I'm very terrified. Uh, <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Like she is, her mouth is agape. I uh, mean, but yeah, The Ring is great. Uh, Korea has one yeah. too. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, in Japan, they made several you know remakes of that yeah. one movie. But anyway, anyway, but a lot of great horror movies out there. So many. I'm going to start you off with Feng Shui. It's a very obscure one. It might be hard <laughs> to find, but again, you'll be able to find it. There's also um, The Grudge, if you haven't seen it. It's really, really good. The Japanese The original version. Grudge is very original good. Original Japanese Not the, like, we made a second remake all made it. of The good. Grudge it's, in America. I don't know why, good. but okay. No. Yeah, it's not good at all. But I'll keep giving you guys more Asian horror films. So I love horror and I love Asian horror films. And they're so much scarier to me because I grew up in that culture and believing in all of those superstitions. Yeah. Right so. now, the only the only Asian horror films I'm watching are you 2 without fire extinguishers. So please. Cool. All right. Feel great about myself now, Dev. I love it. Um, so, so to bring myself out of this funk that I've now deservedly been thrust into... I, I lean on YouTube a lot for, for just sort of finding little moments of joy. And one channel in particular lately has been really doing it for me. It's called Mr. Go Lightly. Mm. Uh, this, person, this person seems to specialize in putting together supercuts of different actors and actresses singing like the same climactic moments in shows, in Broadway shows. So Ooh. I will go through and like watch 15 minutes of everyone singing the end of Defying Gravity. And like the comment section is just like, oh, she killed it. But she was like a little pitchy. And this person <laughs> could have been a little better. Give it like two or three more years. She'll get uh, there. You'll be great. This, this Wait, seems so like, like something for Shirlin, by the way. Like, yeah. um, I think our judgiest karaoke attendee. So perfect. That's, that's perfect. only this... because, and this yeah. it pains me so much to say this, but Shirlin is the best at karaoke. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go to karaoke with Shirlin anymore. It's just not that's good. Not true uh if y'all want to see me and v kill it at defying gravity i have it up on my instagram stories is one of my what? highlights i Do know you? yeah i have the Good video God. of when we did carpool karaoke <laughs> to defying gravity Jesus. it's great um check it out but that sounds so mr go lightly youtube channel is that it yeah find some joy awesome. there if you love musicals if you love theater if you love broadway you'll fall down this rabbit hole for sure well, that's it for us this week. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very unmanaging editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sherlyn online. Where? I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Send me your fire extinguisher tips. Please. And Chris Velasco, where can we find you? I'm at Chris Velasco on Twitter or 
hit me up on email, v8engadget.com. Oh, man, that's uh, you're very brave that's to do that. You can find address. me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I podcast about movies and TV at the slash filmcast at slashfilm.com. We just reviewed Tiger King, which is not good. Um, Stop. Anyway. You liked it two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're also doing Memories of Murder, so talking about like great Bong Joon-ho movies. So Ooh. catch up on that. Email us at podcast at engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Okay, now that Sherlyn and Chris are gone, we can get to this interview with Nathaniel Halpern, uh, the creator of Tales from the Loop. And this is a show I've been looking forward to for a while. I've been a huge fan of Simon Stollenhog's artwork. You've probably seen it shared around the internet. It's uh, usually a peaceful Norwegian countryside scene with like a robot or something very science fiction-y in it. And his artwork really conveys this interesting idea of... Uh, normalcy meets science fiction in in a fascinating way. And I think the show does a great job of exploring that whole thing. So here's my chat with Nathaniel Halpern. Hi, Nathaniel. Hi. Very nice to meet you over the phone. Gotcha. Well, I'm just going to jump right into questions uh, just to conserve your time here. I'm wondering uh, what led you to want to adapt Tales from the Loop. Uh, were you inspired by the art that was floating around the internet from Simon Stollenhog? Like, uh, was that the main thing for you? Well, yeah, actually, I was introduced to Simon's work uh, through the director, Matt Rees, and his producing partners. Okay. And I was just really taken by the uh, the aesthetic that he created, that marriage between the ordinary and extraordinary, and uh, also the emotion that's in his uh, work and then just the idea of how do you adapt paintings into a TV series? That just seemed like a wonderfully unique challenge, and mm-hmm. I wasn't about to pass that up. Gotcha. And I know you're coming off of Legion, too, which was kind of a, a really interesting task as a TV show, too. Like, how did your experience on that show translate to, you know, working on adapting paintings at this point? Yeah, I mean, there um, Legion was... Uh, another unique experience and a unique show quite different from tales from the loop. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, just learning how to adapt from one visual medium to another sort of in, informed it, but tales from the loop was just so different from Legion and here there, there was really no roadmap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was essentially just using the visuals as prompts, visual prompts to tell stories. Gotcha. And yeah, can you talk more about that process too? Because I've seen all three of the screeners that you guys sent out, and what I'm fascinated by is how you've kind of captured the sparseness of both um, the artwork, but also like that little that little hint of emotion of nostalgia of like I don't know memory of a lost civilization or something too. You've kind of wrapped that into all the stories as Uh well. What was that process like? Well, yeah, I mean, you use that word nostalgia, and I have Mm -hmm. an interesting relationship with that word in that um, for me. I wasn't terribly interested in nostalgia for media, uh, meaning pop culture, right? Um, uh, and just reminding you of other things you've seen. And here, I wanted to reference our own life experiences, things you've experienced as a child uh, or other um, chapters in your life. So a lot of times, as you said, there's this emotion in Simon's work, mm-hmm. and there's this universal universal quality to it, and I wanted to tap into these feelings we've all felt. And so when my hope is really if someone could watch it and think, oh, I recognize that. That reminds me of myself. Uh, and that there's an, el- an element of empathy uh, within the show. Um, and, and that's kind of my approach 
uh, to nostalgia in that regard. Gotcha. Yeah, it's really interesting to me how you've really focused on the human aspects of the storytelling. Were you at all inspired by like any of the uh, the background narratives that uh, Simon was building up for Tales from the Loop? Uh, not so much. For instance, I had no exposure to the role playing game. Right. Um, and it, it was really I took Simon's core premise, which was the loop uh, is the facility that exists beneath this town and experiments are done and the byproducts litter the landscape above. Mm -hmm. And that's where I I hung my hat on that premise. But otherwise, um, Simon was just very supportive of having me take it and run because we saw eye to eye very early on that, yes, this is more about the people than the science fiction. Right. Uh, Very often, I'm a big fan of the genre. Um, Very often, though, the characters are there to service the idea that's uh, at play. And here I wanted the science fiction idea to actually amplify the experience that the character is having. So mm-hmm. I kind of flipped the formula that you see very often. Yeah, I think I, that's partially perhaps why the show is working so well for me, too, is that you're not even really leaning on the science fiction aspects. It shows up once in a while, but sort of like his paintings, right? It is a thing in the background that is very interesting, but we're more focused on the humans most of the time. Yeah, and I think there, there's, a, there's a fascinating reality that develops out of that mm-hmm. in that so often uh, a science fiction element is create, is um, treated like a shiny toy. Right. Um, and here, treating it as rather ordinary, which Simon does in his paintings, uh, makes it feel realer uh, because the characters are never really asking how this is happening. They know it ties back to the loop somehow, so mm-hmm. we don't have to waste that time in the story of people asking each other, how could this be happening, which isn't terribly compelling. Uh, here, it's just, well, what does it mean for them? Uh, and how does it change them? Um, so there is this fascinating uh, aesthetic that started with those paintings of treating the science fiction as rather ordinary. Right, right. One thing that was really interesting, too, is that this seems like a rare TV show where characters have, uh, th- there's a lot of time where characters can spend on the emotions and the show isn't like rushing past, you know, some big dramatic moments. Was that like the tempo of the storytelling? Was that something you also kind of adapted from the uh, from the art, or was that just like the way you want to tell this? Uh, I see so many shows, especially sci-fi shows. I'm thinking of like uh, the Amazing Stories thing that just hit Apple TV Plus. It's so they rush through so many things, you never have time to absorb the story. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate uh, with with a lot of programming these days. I, I would say that. It stems from my own sense of storytelling that mm. I think emotion is given a lot of lip service, but um, the dirty little secret is you need to take the time to have the emotion felt yeah. um, and not just have characters and us as an audience pulled through a very dense plot. Um, so I, I, I strove to tell stories. There's an elegance to Simon's work. I, I strove to tell stories that would have the simplicity of, of a fable. Um, yeah. and that, that could be followed very easily, which then allows you to invest in the character versus doing the math of the, the plot turns. Um, and that hopefully you're, what is most compelling is you hope these characters end up okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're leaning in for, that you have empathy for them and you're feeling what they're feeling, um, their loves and disappointments throughout the story. Because I find very often, rarely do I recount, um, oh, there was that great plot. Uh, right, tell right. You about it. It's usually these little human moments that sear themselves into my mind when I think back to things that uh, have really affected me over the years. And so creating a show that could really uh, harness those little moments. Gotcha. And what was it like bringing Simon's work to life? 
it seems like uh, the production design of a show like this seems very delicate. Um, how much of it is practical? How much of it is CG? And how did you go about like just realizing this world? Well, it was a wonderful gift having Simon's paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think personally that the hardest part is creating a world and a tone and a, an aesthetic that is compelling enough that would make you want to watch it. And so we had that in spades uh, with Simon's work. And then um, wherever possible, I tried to just be very faithful to that's what that looks like. Let's mm-hmm. build that. So there was uh, many instances where we actually built the structure. And then when Simon came to visit uh, the set, um, it was quite something to see him see these things in real life um, <laughs> that he had dreamed up. And similarly, he has such a strong aesthetic that uh, I asked him several times um, for things that I invented within the stories. I said, well, what would this look like within the world of Tales from the Loop? And he very generously designed those elements. And then my visual effects team built them. Mm-hmm. So to answer the other part of the question is, <clears throat> we could do something practical. We did it. The, the uh, robot was built. Um, but then there would be a seamless transition to when it's you know walking right, um, right it would be a cg asset so i think there is this wonderful marriage uh, within the show between these practical elements and the 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 very well done cg enhancements mm-hmm. I, I definitely got a sense of like the uh yeah the original star wars trilogy which i think a lot of people like because the tech is like very practical and dirty too and it feels very lived in uh that robot you're talking about the bipedal robot that is kind of in the background watching people, right? Was that the yeah. largest thing you guys actually built? Um, it wasn't the largest thing we built, but uh, it was certainly, I think, what made the most crowds come and look at it. Right, um, right. Uh, Legacy Effect um, <laughs> did this wonderful, wonderful job of uh, building that, and uh, it had so much life to it and personality, which yeah. was invaluable in performance, uh, acting against it. But um, the the Sphere, we built that. Um, when you go beneath ground to the loop facility, that's all built, mm-hmm. um, uh, including that central object, the eclipse. Uh, we built about three fourths of that, and it has uh, some slight enhancement with CG. So it really felt like a reality we were stepping into versus um, green screen. Gotcha, gotcha. And w- yeah, what sort of things was Simon? Uh, did you tap Simon for to help uh, design? Was it like that? Uh, the eclipse at the in the basement and other things. I uh, know the, the eclipse there, that was um, a nice uh, collaboration between me, the director, Mark Romanic, and the production designer of the pilot, Phil Messina, uh-huh. arriving at that, which was wanting something that felt both futuristic and ancient and organic. Um, and that's how we arrived at that design. But, um, you know, I'd asked Simon, uh, for instance, the character who has a bionic arm, mm-hmm. I asked him, well, what would a bionic arm look like in this world? And uh, in no time at all, he turned it around and had this beautiful <laughs> design, which uh, which was the arm. And then we had both a practical arm and a CG asset of the arm, depending on the needs of the scene. And so my visual effects team built that arm that Simon designed. And then there's another um, a device in episode three that I knew roughly the shape and that it needed a switch. And outside of that, I mm-hmm. said, Simon, what would this look like? And once again, he turned out a great, very tactile, earthy uh, design. And it's like, okay, let's just go build that. So he was wonderful to work with. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Like, I could definitely feel like, yeah, the soul of his artwork kind of running through the show. 
And when it comes to also bringing it to life, um, yeah, the pilot directed by Mark Romanek, I think was very effective and very like evocative of uh, things he's done in the past. I loved his Never Let Me Go adaptation. Uh, did he help you kind of mm-hmm. uh, shape the yeah, style absolutely. of the entire series? Well, it was wonderful when I uh, when Mark and I first met, there's mm-hmm. just this wonderful Venn diagram of our sensibilities crossing over. So it was just such a wonderful collaboration um, and bringing in all of our uh, film references and photography references and painting references. And he was just invaluable in, in bringing this to life. Um, and the, the filmmakers that we would often talk about would be Ingmar Bergman, Krzysztof Kozlowski, right. Andrzej Tarkovsky. And we would make these references. And um, yeah, I just learned so much from him. And uh, he just he did just bring a, a brilliant uh, uh, visual reality to the world. Oh, that's great. I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing more from him in general. He's a, he's a fantastic filmmaker. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Nathaniel, about adapting Tales from the Loop? And uh, yeah, would you want to do a second season of this? Because I feel like there are so many stories to tell here. Yeah, I, I would love to do a second season. Um, what's wonderful is the structure of the show and the nature of the loop. It's it's a storytelling generating device. Right, um, right. So the the possibilities are somewhat endless in that regard. Um, and I would just say in general, I'm I'm a big fan of the the genre. Um, and what I love about this opportunity was to tell science fiction stories that were. Um, perhaps tonally different than what you see out there, that it's right. not um, a show that preys on anxiety and fear and anger, that there's actually a great deal of empathy and emotion in these stories. And hopefully um, the audience can take a bit of comfort from it. Uh, and that there's a hard earned sense of hope to these stories that without becoming sentimental. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've left every episode with uh, my heart in my throat a little bit. So mission accomplished. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's nice of you to say. <laughs> no problem. Well, thank you so much for the chat and good luck uh, with the, the launch of the series and everything. All right. Thank you so much.